Welcome to our eighth episode of Access Answers. As usual, I'm your host, Julia Vergara, along with Angela O'Pry, and today we have a very special guest with us, our first non-Access Sciences guest, Jeff Moore. Jeff is the IT manager for Austin Convention Center, and we've had a lovely conversation and spent some time getting to know Jeff. We're very excited about our conversation today and hosting you on our podcast. And you have lots to share about what you have going on with the convention center. So welcome. Thanks, Angela. And uh, yeah, this has been it's been fantastic. And uh, Julia, thanks for uh, for taking care of us today and, and all of this uh, technology that we have to get going. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been fantastic getting to know you both. Um, working with Access Sciences for uh, several uh, several years now, um, and it's been uh, it's been great to be able to work on collaboratively, work on some of these projects with you and, uh, and the team there. been all my pleasure to be able to come here today and to, to talk more about what's going on at the convention center. So Jeff, we just saw in the news that the convention center is using the space as an alternative care site. Tell us what that's like and how Corona is in your neck of the woods. Right. So yeah, we've, we, uh, back in June, really, uh, we started to spin up the alternative care site. We are using one of our event halls and we have it outfitted with 100 beds and nursing stations. There are a lot of services that were prepared back then and just getting it ready so that if our hospitals did spill over and patients needed care, they could go um, and so for months, we have been ready and, uh, and ready to go. The, the, uh, in January, though, we've now been able to turn that over. The state came in, and they have a contractor that works uh, with many different cities on their care sites. And so they're now doing that with us. And uh, so back on the 11th, we were opened. Uh, we kind of had that contractor come in, we tweaked, we t- tweaked a number of things and uh, we opened up or had it ready and started to receive people. We're, as of today, I think we are at 36 uh, patients. And, um, you know, when we're unable to do things like the events that we've done, being able to serve the community in this way is, is a fulfilling thing. It, of course, uh, it brings about a lot of uh, challenges for us in terms of what we've had to do. Our facility is, has upped its, uh, its cleanliness care and its certifications in that area. It has, uh, it has come in and reworked the ventilation system in that specific hall where, this, where all the patients would be so that none of the air is circulated um, throughout the building anymore. All of that is is circulated outside of the building, and there are uh, strategic areas of the of the center that are uh, cordoned off that are making sure that people don't get into what's considered a hot zone. My team specifically is uh, there's each of the each of the areas in terms of maintenance crew and IT uh, that deploy typically deploy equipment or services in an unusual event have an, an, an equivalent liaison in that uh, contractor. And so we have a person that we're working with there. And that way, all of my team is uh, doing everything on the back end and in other 
areas outside of what's considered the hot zone and uh, so that they're they're able to be safe while still helping the community uh, get through this tough time. That's awesome. Well, I guess maybe I shouldn't say that's awesome that we have the need for that. I guess that would mean that the hospitals are are filling up if they've gone to that plan of action, but awesome that y'all are able to provide a place for people in need. It is. It is. It's, it's something that, that we're really proud of being able to do. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to a time when we can, you know, begin to have events again. And until then, um, we've done this year, we set up for the care site and we also had two different uh, shelters set up for um, hurricane evacuees. Um, oh, wow. We, uh, we were able to use a, a little bit of, of that setup, the space that we needed for that during those uh, tricky, tricky times uh, with, with severe weather. But that's now passed and uh, we're just focusing on the care site at this point and trying to get our community through, make sure that everyone is able to get the treatment that they can. In December, we hosted a client focus group. And you were able to attend that, Jeff. And you said something that really has not left my mind since then. (laughs) You said when talking about transitioning from 2020 to 2021, that at some point we would be able to take the challenges and turn them into opportunities. Tell the audience a little bit more about your perspective on that and where you were coming from. Well, yeah, I mean, I think in the beginning, many of us were just kind of wanting to see where this was going to head. We, is this going to be just like the flu and we're going to get over it here in a month or two? Um, in which case, you know, we'll, it, it won't be long and we'll just hop back into what we were. Uh, as, as, you know, each month started to tick by, it became clear that we need to do something. We need to be able to do something differently. Um, but there are many in the event industry that um, that were still kind of holding their breath, waiting for things to go back to normal, and even thinking that even if this was a prolonged series of, of illness, that at some point it would all return to what it was before, and we'd be having you know twenty thousand person events again, and and so at, at some point it became clear that you know. Other people are moving on. Our, our, our clients are moving on. Um, many of them are engaging with virtual event-based systems and vendors that can help them with that. And, you know, we've done a bit of that before at the Austin Convention Center with various clients. Um, so we're no stranger to it. And we have, uh, we partner with Freeman AV. Uh, they're, our, they're our preferred partner. And and they have a system that they use that's proprietary to them, and and so it was just uh, it was just made necessary that you know we really need to focus on this as not only a way to survive but a way to thrive in a post pandemic economy and and business with events, and so that's really uh, it really does pose an opportunity for us. For those still holding their breath, uh, ho- hopefully there aren't many of them <laughs> left doing that. But um, but yes, as we transitioned into 20, many things went virtual. And we're hoping that in, in this year, in 21, that things would move more toward the hybrid setup. In either case, you cannot take the what used to be an in-person event and just 
plop it down into a virtual environment or a hybrid environment and expect it to, to have the same sort of experience. It really does need to be rethought from the ground up. And that's where your partnership with a, uh, with a venue and with your AV provider specifically is going to, to be very important. And you've also talked a little bit about reinventing your, you know, reinventing the conference experience. Yes. The idea of hosting 20,000 people again, are you seeing that in the future for 2021? Well, uh, I think it would be pretty aggressive (laughs) 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 to think that something like that would happen. Um, I mean, we are at this point, we are still at stage five in, in city. And so we're, we're not supposed to be meeting uh, any any more than you know ten or so people outside of your home, citywide. So we we have had a couple of events, um, namely exams, sergeants' exams, ex- engineers' exams, things where people can be safely uh, socially distanced, and uh, those were approved by our our uh, Austin Health Department, but. You know, altogether, it's it is going to be very hard to have things at even half the capacity that we had prior to the pandemic for a while, and so it's going to be it's going to be as you say that that challenge is going to need to be something that we really undertake to be able to keep people's attention on a virtual or hybrid event is much different than it is in person. So think about when you've gone to conferences, you sign up for it, you book your flight, you get your hotel taken care of, you take that time out to travel to that event, and you're there. Once you're there, you're there. And, um, and yes, you may, get, you may get buzzed with text messages, and you may still be doing email and working in your room at night, but you have, they have your attention, right? You've been able to devote your attention to that. And why not? You've made such an effort to get there, right? With virtual and hybrid event, with the, with the virtual portion of that, you are literally going to your you know, next, next room and you're getting on and, and you, the, your attention really has to be captured and held. And so in many cases, um, as I've been talking with others in the event industry, the focus is really upon how we've done with news in the past. It used to be we'd have these very long programs of news, articles in the newspaper that were quite lengthy. Now these days we have little tiny bits of information that come at us frequently um, as opposed to one long article. And so the same goes for what some are doing in the event industry now. So they're breaking up what used to be a two to three day full full day in person event, and they're beginning to break that up into virtual bites that last across two to three weeks. So that way, people have a more flexible schedule. They're able to they're able to space it out, and the parts that they do experience are much shorter, and so that that keeps their attention. The challenge really is to say, why is it? as a venue in Austin, Texas, would someone want to come and still have their event here, to host that hybrid event here? And really the answer comes about because we want to be able to still have your event have the Austin flavor. 
So in working with some of the events that we've done thus far, uh, specifically ones out of our Palmer Event Center facility, uh, we have people speaking from the balcony with the Austin skyline in the background. There are music, Austin musicians that are, that are portioned in uh, for breaks. And all of this continues to give you the feel of having your event here in Austin, even though it may be virtual. Well, Austin is certainly a, a very cool place. I'm very sad that some of my trips there last year were canceled. The food is awesome. The environment is so cool. And I think the world is seeing that and really appreciating Austin right now, which is sort of to your advantage. I, I suspect with the big companies moving in, like Samsung just announced that they're expanding their facilities there and Tesla and lots of other Silicon Valley's moving there. Have you noticed a change or in the feeling of the environment or? Well, I mean, I stay at home most of the time. <laughs> so, no, uh, you know, I don't, get, I don't get out much. <laughs> you know, that's a good old, good old saying. I, I, yeah, I don't get out much. Um, I mean, I get into the garden and, and obviously we have these virtual meetings. However, no, I mean, I, I think that people here are, are, are doing their best to stay safe. A lot of a lot of exciting thing is ha things are happening with business here locally in terms of particular those that are catering toward the needs of people in this in this lockdown. And so, you know, there are some really great things happening in terms of curbside curbside systems that are spinning up and businesses that are using that. It is a challenge, you know, to, to keep some of your even iconic restaurants and bars in business under circumstances like this. But but the changes have been made such that uh, you can go to what was your your previous you know favorite haunt, and uh, you can pick up those enchiladas curbside and even a margarita to go. Which yeah. you know the alcohol rules prior to the pandemic were not so free. So it's been great to see companies and it's been and it's been great to see how they have quickly mobilized toward these solutions. You know, they're really they're really looking at the experience of their customer. Mm -hmm. So I know you've also mentioned before that pre-pandemic, the convention center highly preferred um, and relied heavily on that in-person collaboration. So what was that transition to work from home like for you? For me personally, it was, uh, well, you, you kind of have to go back. So I've been with the Convention Center 12 years. And prior to that, I was in educational publishing. Um, I did information technology systems in, uh, in educational publishing for uh, Harcourt Publishers. And, you know, with that, we, we went through many acquisitions. We had uh, one, you, you would go to bed one night and wake up the next day. You're, and now you're reporting to a different team many of the members being in London or in India, in um, Boston or Orlando. And so uh, it, it just got to the point where many of us were already teleworking. And so by the time that I had applied for the job and received the offer here at the convention center, I was working at home every single day of the week and loved that work-life balance. Coming into the culture of the of the Austin Convention Center, or you know, coming into that event-based business, it was all about in-person interaction. Mm -hmm. And so, at first, um, 
it, it met with a bit of challenge to do some teleworking. Uh, but they agreed after a while I could do one day and then up to two. And, and so things, things just kind of evolved from that point to the point that prior to the pandemic, many people in finance, human resources, in contracts and purchasing, things of those divisions where they had roles that were suitable to, to remote work were beginning to allow that. So for me, though, uh, a year and a half prior, I had taken on network services, uh, the management of network operations. And so I needed to be there more. And so when we were blowing and going with events, I needed to really be on site more. I was then fortunate enough if I was able to get, you know, half a day to work at home a week. And then the pandemic came and we were all asked to work at home. So for me personally, this has been fantastic. I've, I've enjoyed getting back to having this wonderful work-life balance. And, and it is so productive to be able to just immediately get up. My day starts earlier. My day ends later. I get so much more work done. And, you know, that, that has always been one of the notions of telework. Many studies over the past two, probably two decades have shown that people that work at home are more productive. Arguably, though, prior to the pandemic, uh, many still perceived that while people may be more productive, they're not more creative. And yes. was seen as something that could only be had if you were in the same room, same big conference room with dry erase boards, <laughs> Sharpies and post-it notes and ideating up on the board. Yeah. And, um, and so that's something that, that probably had a certain amount of merit, but going into work, during this pandemic, we've all begun to rely upon things like Teams and, and, and many of these other tools that allow us to not only communicate, but collaborate. Um, so for instance, in the city of Austin, we use Office 365 or now Microsoft 365 suite of products. And so we have been able to, uh, one of our project managers, uh, she is always on the bleeding edge of what's being done in terms of design thinking and creative ways of, of developing things for people, focusing on the user experience and how they feel more or less, more than really what they do. How do they feel about what they do? Um, but she, she has been using different tools uh, every seems every meeting that we're in, she's uh, she has a new tool that she's trying, and and so she's on. She's very progressive about that. And you know, early on in this process, to ideate what you'd normally do in that conference room, she set up a meeting, and we would have uh, a PowerPoint deck, and she would have a certain amount of her presentation happening in that in those slides and then we'd get to a point where okay now we're going to we're going to spend the next 5 minutes and each of you has a slide and I've pre-populated it with little squares those are going to be your post-it notes and so we'll take the next you know 2 to 3 minutes and just fill out as many different solution ideas as you can to this problem and then we'll come back together and then she started to ideate all of those together and so in fact we did we recreated the same experience that 
we would have had in the same room and we did it all online. And I think so many system offerings now are moving in that direction uh, because people are seeing value to, to working at home, particularly managers. Managers uh, in the past always thought if I'm managing, I've got to be there and I've got to see my people to know that they're working. But the thing is telework takes a shift in the way that you manage because you're, you're managing to results. You're checking productivity. And, uh, and in many cases, you get much more response from your employees when you do it that way. That's awesome. I love that idea with the different PowerPoint slides. We've tried a few different virtual whiteboarding options. And I think, Julia, you wrote a blog about that. Yes, yes. Way back when I started. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so big fans of that. Although I will say, I guess I'm realizing I'm a little bit more of a social person than I ever thought that I was. And I am missing that face-to-face, just social time. What I'm finding with the virtual meetings is we jump right to business you know, just we have an agenda, we have a limited time frame normally because we're bound by back-to-back meetings. So, you know, very limited to that 30-minute time frame. We're like, okay, let's just get right into it. And even though you can see the animals and you can see the kids in the background, still just losing some of that personal interaction. Mm-hmm. And then I started mid-pandemic, so I, I don't really know any different. <laughs> well, you know, that... that um it's funny when you when you just mentioned that, Angela, because I I'm in meetings pretty much all day long, and it, there does begin to be that point. I mean, we get down to business uh, straight away, and and we move through, and then uh, and I don't know whether it's me. I'm sure it's not just me, but I do I do tend to diverge from <laughs> the topic toward the end, and in such the case that you know we begin talking about whatever gardening projects we're working <laughs> on or you know, whatever. Oh, and check out this valve that I bought, you know, on, and, and had, you know, just arrived yesterday. And, uh, and at that point you start seeing people disconnecting from the meeting and everything. So I know that, I know that I try to keep things as personal as I can as, as we were working, but, you know, just to keep that personal touch. And then there are certain ones on my team that they were the ones who on a daily basis, they needed to see their manager. They wanted to, they would pop in and we've kind of gone to maybe about a week, a one week check in where we'll schedule some time. We'll have a cup of tea or coffee online and just kind of check in. And uh, the rest of the time, it's it is teams, team notifications, texts, etc. <laughs> OK, so now we have to we definitely have to talk about the gardening. And whenever we met at the beginning of January, we asked you if you would have your Instagram account live for the audience so now's the big moment right and i do um and so it is anderson moore garden on on instagram anderson moore garden that'll be a-n-d-e-r-s-o-n more m-o-o-r-e garden so i just spun it up let's see maybe a week ago and you know for all that i'm in technology uh, every day of my life, I have not been a social media person. <laughs> my wife Lisa has has um, we've had an Instagram account. I set it up um, a few years ago when we were headed to let's see, I think we're going to Cornwall uh, for a va- for a holiday, and so it was like, you know, uh, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to post the photographs. 
things didn't work for me, I think because it was a geographical fencing sort of thing going on. And so I pretty much, you know, it was dead to me. And so I was on to something else, but I kind of come from the website back, you know, age <laughs> and she stuck with it. She, and so she's been helping me with this because I, I wanted to go back and collect as many of the photographs as I could. And I collected over 300 photographs from the past six, we're, we're, we've now been here seven years in this house. And uh, so what I try to do, though, because I can't post all 300 of those photographs <laughs> in the gallery or anything like that, what I've been doing is uh, taking the latest chore that I'm doing in the garden and then maybe attaching a photo or two of uh, what it looked like several years ago. And so, you know, hopefully this will be something that uh, we'll just carry on from here and, and be able to show both uh, current projects and, and past in the same, you know, quick blog-like faction. And uh, hopefully people will be able to enjoy that. Access Answers is owned and operated by Access Sciences. We are a consulting and business process outsourcing firm specializing in information governance, technology enablement, and business strategy. Since 1985, our dynamic team of experts have been committed to meeting each of our clients' unique information needs. If you're interested in partnering with Access Sciences, send us an email at info at Jeff, we really appreciate you presenting with us in the fall for a virtual conference about the journey to the cloud. Yes. This is a huge topic and one that we know is very relevant to people. Um, we've done a few surveys last year asking where they were on their journey, if they had started, kind of kind of all over the place, I guess, if you will. Yeah. Some people had not started. Some people were in the sprawl stage. So they just kind of had a, a mass that was growing very quickly that they were trying to contain. Yeah. So tell us about your journey at the convention center, where you are, any advice or lessons learned for others? Yeah, so we've, you know, as I say, we've engaged with Access Sciences, uh, it's, been, well, it's been several years ago now. Big shout out to Todd and, uh, and Pradeep from, from that end of it. From the very beginning, began working with them on solutions for putting our, putting our files. We, we had this legacy, like many, many organizations, we had a legacy of files jammed away onto a, a file share affectionately the S drive. And so we, you know, we were, anytime that you, uh, anytime that you needed to find something, it was, it was a pretty arduous task. Now, many, uh, probably um, three, maybe three to four years ago, we onboarded Kimberly DeCola. She was uh, my co-presenter there with, with Renu as well. And uh, Kimberly had, had come in and has the records background. I mean, no one enjoys just delving into the details of information the way Kimberly does, and she's she's so good at it, and um, and she's great at at teaching us all what it is that we need to to know. But of course, just like uh, technology, you know, information has its geek speak, and a lot of people are put off by that, uh, or just you know, let's just say confused at the very least, and so. She does a good job of trying to to you know get with each division and to let them know you know this was four years ago let them know what 
what types of record series that they were going to need to work from because the state of Texas requires us to be able to retain information, retain that information for a specified amount of time based upon record series, and then to dispose of it. And, um, and it, there are city codes. So not only are there state laws, but there are city codes that require this to be done. Well, of course, you know, here we are with our big jammed full, you know, file share. And what are we going to do? And the last thing that you wanted is to be moving along with your regular work day and have Kimberly show up in your doorway <laughs> to say, guess what? A public information request has come in. And so within the next few hours, I need you to find, you know, all information relative to you name the topic. Yeah. The last thing we want to happen. And so, and so, you know, when we, we knew that we needed to organize um, things, we also had, when I first came to work there 12 years ago, we had this severely embarrassing out of date intranet site that had been put together that no one, no one used anymore, except for that one folder that had all of our forms. HR still used that. And so we, we for a long time knew, you know, something, something has to happen with that. And, uh, when I first came in, my, my previous boss said, Hey, can you, uh, can you like just kind of do some research and help us kind of spin up a SharePoint site? And I was like, look, having used SharePoint in, in publishing uh, for years prior to that, I said, look, that, that is, that is not a part-time venture, right? That is, that is something that one is going to take up a lot of a person's time. If it is definitely a full-time position for at least one, if not more people. And the thing is, it has to be set up, and this is most important, it has to be set up correctly for it to continue and be used by people. If it's not, they're not going to use it. And we can't possibly know the best way. And and so over the years, uh, he would try, one, you know, come in and ask somebody else if they, you know, hey, could you possibly set up the SharePoint? And we all just... We're very uncomfortable about it. So now here we are, and and we're getting to the point where we're on Office 365. Many of us using OneDrive. We're ready to go with our SharePoint site. The city had previously used, um, had worked with a vendor on a, a similar mega menu and uh, implementation of SharePoint, which with current SharePoint, with more with modern pages in in SharePoint, was not working. So. We knew that we couldn't just say, oh, well, let's call up our communications and technology management department and have them deploy what they have because we didn't really want what they have. Um, and so we ended up going down this path and we reached out to, um, to Todd with Access Sciences. And how did we find out about him? Because if Kimberly had gone to one of her conferences, information management conferences, and met and met uh, Access Sciences there. So ever since, it's been a fantastic relationship. We have, from the get-go, it was very it was very easy to work with Todd to come up with a staged uh, implementation of how we wanted to work this. And so yes, we started off with. Um, one of the things Access Sciences is great at is putting out their 
methods and technique for change management. Change management is as as a as a uh, as a vendor of your type. Change management is crucial, right? You're going to go in. You're going to be affecting some type of change. Some system is going to be deployed, built, or or configured, and that's going to involve change. So from the get-go, that was part of of Todd's mantra, and we wanted to bake in change management with every aspect of of these projects. Um, so it started off. We started from the from the top down. We had a kind of a C-suite meeting where we brought all of our executives together and our director, and we were able to convey to them the importance of doing this and get their backing, not just their backing, but their direction down through the ranks to be able to ensure that if we, if we take this on, it's going to be huge, but here's going to, here are the important uh, aspects of it. Uh, most notably the one that it gets us in compliance with state and state laws and city code. Right. And so we, you know, that's going to look great. Should we ever need to audit things? Right. And so, uh, so that went really well. And then we, of course, came in. There was a certain amount of discovery. There was the initial rollout. There was uh, then a then a follow up. And so we have wonderful engagements. And the way that it has been put out, as we're collaborating with other people in other city departments that don't have what we have, they look at that and they're like, "Wow, is that SharePoint?" Like. <laughs> that doesn't look like our SharePoint, you know? And, and so it's been, it's been wonderful. And uh, just to be able to get your arms around everything, have uh, all the metadata and the taxonomy set up in that, in that system to categorize the files, everything has just been, has been done wonderfully. So I'm curious your perspective about the change management. Julia just wrote a blog about reinforcing change for Microsoft Teams. So would you say from your experience that the change management was harder to get buy-in before the system was implemented, or would you say reinforcing usage and training after the implementation? Before the, before the implementation, I, a.k.a. with other systems? Yes, like buy-in to... I guess, what teams could do for them? Or were people excited about what they could do with teams and excited to use it? Oh, okay. So specifically with teams, not Mm -hmm. necessarily SharePoint. So the city had adopted teams prior to, prior to uh, this. We, prior to that, used Skype for business. Um, And so we, you know, that transitioned into teams. However, there were many of us that were still, holding on dearly to Skype for business. <laughs> every time we went into Teams, it was just this universe and it was confusing. And some of the departments in the city basically had made the call that, you know, that go out and delete, go out and delete Skype for business off of these people's computers. We want to force them to use it. Not, probably not the best, you know, tactic for change management, <laughs> right? <laughs> You will use it. No one do will like it. Uh, but you know that it was something that um, it was something that we eased into. Okay, so we had the luxury of easing into it, and and then we had some training days prior to the pandemic where we would pull people in. Uh, we'd have snacks and uh, 
we'd set up different booths. We'd have Microsoft out and they would demo some of their products and services. And then we would have proper sit down training sessions. Um, so people started getting to know about teams at that point. And then the pandemic occurred. And see, that's another example of just what a beautiful thing can come out of this disaster is that now so many people are using that platform to work collaboratively, to leverage people you'd never, people that never wanted to be on video that are now on video. They're sharing their desktops. I like to refer to it as a forced reboot. I like to go to conferences that feature uh, CIO speakers. And a lot of these CIO conferences you can't really go to unless you're a CIO. Uh, but one uh, one every year that, that would come through the uh, Austin Convention Center, I used to love to go and listen to uh, Russ Finney. He's been on the cover of CIO Magazine a couple of times, and he... I remember him saying that someone had asked him, how is it that you stay fresh in your career? And he said, the way that I do it is I pick a day and I reboot. I pretend like it's the first day on the job. I'm just getting this job and I'm just going into it. And he said, so that would be my advice for anyone is pick a day, whether it's annually every six months, quarterly, and just reboot. And I love that. I love that thought. And I thought, you know, there's, there's such, there is such value to that self-imposed reboot. But then pandemic came, and then you start to realize there's value in the forced reboot. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have a choice, right? And mm -hmm. All the look at all the good that's come from from us being able to um, being having to to uh, go mobile. It's it's just been uh, it's been a a huge motivation for us to do it. And so for those of us that were just kind of tinkering around with teams, uh, no, we've certainly gone all in now. We're making the transition and. Uh, they're, you know, attending little webinars here and there on, you know, how you can utilize various features. So we're learning stuff still all the time as, as the product is improving. I love that reboot. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's so relevant. You know, I don't know if, if you feel this, but it's like when people ask, how are you doing? And my immediate thought is, well, it's just another day. It's like Groundhog Day over and over. And so the reboot really makes you stop and think about what creative ideas you have or, you know, putting that positive mindset and the, the attitude going into it. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, and I think that that reboot is something that we look at, we can look at with events, right? Because why do you go to an event? Why do you go to a conference or a convention? It's to meet people. It's to also to go to a city that might be a destination. Yes. And, uh, and now we're dealing with the after effects of shutdown, you know, restaurants and bars and, uh, and shops that are shut down because they, they have not been able to survive, sadly. The destination factor of an, of an event becomes, uh, becomes a tricky one. Of course, on, on, the, on the other side of things, in terms of meeting people, 
I've been I've been fortunate to be involved with the uh, the IAEE, which you can't say too fast. <laughs> yeah, International Association of uh, Events and Exhibitions. So uh, it is a it's a great association for events professionals, and I've been fortunate to be asked over the last this this year was my fourth year that I've participated in a technology reviews. Um, we typically did it like a Shark Tank event where myself and two other persons would be the, the sharks and, uh, and we would listen to tech startups get up and give their speeches about their new and emerging products and then we would choose a winner. So uh, this year I did, I did interviews, uh, I did 20-minute interviews with 10 different vendors over a course of two days. Um, also, fantastic experience. And in there, you began to discover the types of technologies people are working on to enhance the event experience now for virtual and hybrid events. And so prior to the pandemic, people were working on things like matchmaking uh, capabilities. Uh, So you'd register for your event, you put a little bit of information about yourself, your title, your job skills, etc., and the system would help uh, would help you know match you with uh, with someone else. And of course, now that is crucial. That, that is just crucial. And with breakout rooms, uh, you can you can make those connections. It's something that they were working prior to the pandemic with a beacon and a badge. And so they would ha- you would be wearing. Uh, if I came into the to this area, and Julia, you you were also uh, in. Uh, in the same field as myself, I would, I would, I could look around the room. I could see you. I could see your badge, and it would have my name uh, appear on it in little LED lights. And that's so I would know that if I came close to somebody with my name on their badge, um, in like the little marquee across the top of the badge, that that was a person that I needed to know. Wow! And so there were very unique ways of matchmaking that were happening even prior to the pandemic. But as I say now, all the more crucial when, uh, when people are really trying to, to stay connected in the virtual hybrid environment. That's awesome. I had no idea that that capability existed. Yeah, there, there are um, many things that have come up as of this year. There are those that are in the biz- going into the consulting business of helping people put on those, those types of events, helping them redesign their events. And so it's, it's not just uh, systems, but, uh, but services as well. Yes. Well, we do hope that one day we can get back to the 20,000 person events. I would personally very much love to travel again and go to events and see people. Just be in Austin again too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, it's it it what you know that is one of the things that though I've enjoyed working at home, and uh, though I feel like I'm able to get a lot done by teleworking, the downside is yeah, you still can't travel. And I'm sure your garden's been loving the extra attention. Oh, it has. <laughs> it has. You know, a lot of structural things that that have been needing to be done back there for a long time, and so. And so now, you know, it's, it's been great to, to get a lot of that done. Yeah, I heard you give people tours of your garden sometimes if they're lucky enough. 
done that. If we have a little bit of time left at the end of the meeting and people have already made some comments uh, about certain, you know, butterflies that are flying around or flowers that they see behind me, we'll, I'll offer to, to take them around on a bit of a tour and show them what I'm working on lately. Yes. Well, we look forward to that and we will definitely keep following your account on Instagram to keep updated. And anyone who's listening, certainly go give them a follow at Anderson Moore Garden. And thank you so much for your time today and being our guest on our podcast. No, not at all. I, I you know, thank you for having me as a guest. But, uh, but really, you know, I do feel like we are, uh, we are more of a family and more of a, a synthesized organization because we've just had such great experiences with Access Science. And, uh, and I look forward to, to doing more collaborative work in the future.